So Easter Sunday, this is uh, for many churches, this is the Super Bowl, you could say, right? Uh, not because of Easter dresses or pastels, but uh, because this is the Sunday, uh, just, just like every other Sunday, but we specifically celebrate the power of God at work. Uh, the, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in us. Easter is not simply a sentimental holiday, it is the very crux of the Christian faith. And as we're going to look in a second at 1 Corinthians 15, uh, you know, really Paul is writing to the believers in this city of Corinth, and he says, I want to remind you of the gospel which you received gospel, the word for good news. I want to remind you of that, the gospel by which you are being saved. And so we're going to read a passage that comes right on the heels of what he wants to remind these people of. Why? Because they're much like us, that it is so easy to lose our way, so easy to kind of go through life thinking, uh, you know, there's There's a way that we can kind of muscle through it, that we are not in need of resurrection power. And so Paul says, I want to remind you of the gospel, and in a sense today we get reminded as well. And so would you stand as we just want to hear from the word of God. 1 Corinthians 15, we're going to look at uh, verses 3 through 5, and uh, that's not coming up, is it? All right, Jason, I think I need your help. All right. Paul writes this, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we just ask that you would be uh, with us, that you would be in our midst, that God, by the power of the Spirit, the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, would you allow your word to come alive in our ears. Father, help us not to just receive it as mere knowledge. God, I pray that you would help us to receive it as what it is, the word of God to us today. Uh, the powerful word that is able to transform hearts and minds and lives. Father, we pray for that, and we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Isn't it amazing at times how uh, what we're aware of, kind of like what's in our mind, begins to shape how we start, how we see the world? You know, like what we're aware of now changes what we see. You know, uh, anytime you buy a new car, right, uh, all of a sudden, like everybody on the road has that car, and you're like, did they just buy this too? Uh, Or, I mean, no, your perspective changed. All of a sudden, you went from not being aware that this car even existed to now you own one and and you see it everywhere. Nothing has changed other than the lenses by which you view life. Does that make sense? Uh, You know, it's fun to watch uh, new couples when they're first dating, right? Uh, Because all of a sudden, they view life through the lens of the other person. Like nothing else matters except who they are now dating. And, and so they start to see life through the lens of that relationship. Uh, and so uh, in a similar way, I, I think for us at Easter, uh, I think God is saying that 
hey, what is it for us to see with resurrection lenses, to look at life and to look at the gospel and what God offers us in his word, not as some quick fix for your life, like we talked about last week, not some version of of self-help just with godly principles. No, resurrection is not not a little fix-me-up. Resurrection is God bringing life out of death. Oftentimes when uh, families have kids, they start to say, wait, maybe we need to go back to church to get a little bit of morality, a little bit of, you know, kind of, uh, you know, to help our kids uh, live rightly. But here's the thing. The gospel is not you getting some more reality, more, more morality. The gospel is that things need to die probably in your heart, things you're trusting in, so that God can bring his life in you. That is a very different picture than, hey, let's go to church so that little Johnny has a little bit of uh, morality in his life. We need the power of God to bring life out of death. And so when we start to say we're going to look for resurrection, it's one thing to look for a nice blessing or an improvement on something, but it's another thing entirely to look for and watch with resurrection lenses because this is the way that God works to say where is God bringing life out of death? Where is new life popping up by the power of God? And what's amazing is once we start to look for it, you will start to see it everywhere. You will start to see it like you've just bought a new car. And what will happen is when you see God's resurrection power on display in the world, in your own heart, in your family, in your kids, in our church, then you start to see it everywhere and our worship begins to flourish. Uh, You know, we might not be so prone to play defense against what's wrong in this world and start to look for God's resurrection power bringing goodness and beauty out of things that are dead and broken. And we will be watching expectantly for God to do that. And so what is it to, number one, understand the resurrection and then for us to then look for it? So really, the resurrection is God's pattern of working. Uh, you know, one of the most uh, kind of pointed aspects of this passage that we just read uh, is the idea of death to resurrection. That there's this paradigm uh, that uh, God's pattern of working is that it goes from death to resurrection. You know, we see it in the life of Jesus that he was in heaven, he empties himself, he takes on the form of a servant, he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, death on a cross, we're so used to it in our, in our conversations. In that day, that was the height, that was the height of shame and being accursed. If you pick it up from Deuteronomy 21, uh, verse 22, uh, this is coming out of the law of God. And if a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he is put to death, And you hang him on a tree. Remember, we sang about that earlier, about a a, a tree. And that that word tree is another word that's going to be later used uh, for a cross because it's made of wood. But if you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain there 
uh, remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day, for a hanged man is what? Cursed by God. The religious leaders of Jesus' day could have easily found a way to put Jesus to death uh, in ways that wouldn't involve the Roman government. But crucifixion, hanging somebody on a cross, hanging somebody on a tree, that needed the Roman government's involvement. The religious leaders could have said, hey, let's stone him. But that wouldn't have, have made him, according to Deuteronomy 21, accursed. And so they went out of their way to put Jesus to death. How? On the cross. The most vile way for somebody to die. And Galatians 3 picks this theme up. Galatians 3 picks it up where Paul says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse to us. For it's written, cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. But the beauty of the gospel does not stop there. That's death. But what's the pattern of God working? Verse 14, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. That Jesus become a, becomes accursed so that we get his blessing. That's the promise of the gospel. Jesus dies and resurrects. He becomes the curse that we deserve so that we might have the blessing. It's God's pattern of working, and it's not just in the gospel of the cross and the resurrection. It's God's pattern of working all over and all throughout time. Because did you catch it in verse, th verse 3 and 4 that, uh, that Jesus died in accordance with the scriptures— and that he was raised in accordance with the scriptures. So what does that mean? So it means, Paul's saying, that well before Jesus went to the cross and was raised from the dead, the scriptures of the Old Testament were pointing to the reality of the death and the resurrection of Christ. Now, we've been looking at the minor prophets over these last many weeks, right? And uh, so it seems fitting that we would look at Easter from uh, the, a biblically historical perspective that involves the Old Testament. Now, we, we often and can easily point to ways that the death of Jesus is kind of predicted and looked forward to in the Old Testament. You know, the patterns of sacrifices for sin, you know, fulfilled in Jesus. You know, where John the Baptist says, Behold, and he points at Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So the Old Testament sacrifices are pointing to the sacrifice of Jesus. We get the death part, but resurrection trails in our understanding a lot. The, the resurrection is not quite as evident in the Old Testament. Some would even say it's not there. Well, Paul, Apostle Paul would totally disagree that he was raised according to the scriptures. So where is it? Well, Daniel chapter 12 and this is going to be too fast uh, to, for you to flip there. So Daniel chapter 12 talks about, And many of those who sleep in the dust, that's another phrase for death, in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Basically, there is life coming out of death 
Uh, what about one of the prophets? Not a minor prophet, but still a prophet in Isaiah uh, 26, 19. God talking about the restoration that he will bring. He says, your dead shall rise. Their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. For your dew is a dew of light and the earth will give birth to the dead. This, this picture of the dead coming out of the earth. Go back to Job, and we can keep going, but uh, we'll just give a little quick summary. For I know that my Redeemer lives, Job says, uh, and, at, and at the last, or last day, he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet my flesh, or in my flesh, I shall, shall see God. You hear it? Though he's going to die, yet in his flesh he will see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. My heart faints within me. Well, Psalm 16, Acts chapter 2, where Peter preaches his first sermon. Uh, all these things pointing to uh, the, the resurrection of the dead uh, from, uh, as the pattern of what God does. But then there's an interesting thing that Jesus does. It's not just in those verses that predict. And yes, I skipped over like three things. So uh, we're going to do that a lot because it, it is a danger to preach on a, resur a topic as big as the resurrection for one week. <laughs> uh, so anyway, uh, we'll just skip uh, all sorts of stuff. Um, it was a lot of fun putting together. Uh, <laughs> you might want to read my notes later. Uh, but it's not just those verses that talk about resurrection. It's the pattern of the resurrection that's all over the Old Testament as well. What prophet did we look at that is a picture of the resurrection? Jesus spoke on it. Jesus said, remember Jonah? Remember Jonah? Uh, we, can, we can read it in Matthew chapter 12, verse 40. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now you might be saying, wait, Jonah actually didn't die. And you're right. Jesus is saying it's the pattern of death and resurrection that is all over the Old Testament. It's the picture of the gospel. It's the good news for us. And, and so uh, even in, uh, in uh, the sacrifice of Isaac that Abraham was called to do, Hebrews 11 talks about it uh, that Abraham was willing to trust God with that and do that, and then God stops him from doing it. But he was willing to do it. Why? Because he, Abraham, considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. That's his son, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. These patterns of death and resurrection are all over uh, the Old Testament. And so when Paul says he died according to the scriptures, sacrifice, got it, he was raised according to the scriptures, that pattern is how God has been at work from the beginning. So now, what do we await if that's how God's at work? And what are we awaiting as he is continuing to do this? Well, in Genesis chapter 2, Adam and Eve were created as people with bodies, okay? Now, that shouldn't be a shock, uh, but, but we have to have that to understand what Jesus is doing at the resurrection and what that means for us. Because in Genesis, Genesis 2, 
God makes Adam and Eve with bodies. They were embodied people, flesh, bone, blood in their veins. So what did death interrupt? Death interrupts the created order of human beings being embodied people because those who have already died, especially those who have died in Christ, their soul is in heaven and their body is in the ground or their body is suffering decay. There is a separation of what God created together. Does that make sense? Come to Sunday school. There's more on this, uh, but I'll hit pause. All right, so... uh, So if that's what is disrupted, then what is our hope? At the very least, it's a reversal of what was lost, of what death had interrupted, where the soul is now separated from the body at death. That at the very least, we await a bodily resurrection because of what Jesus did is our future hope. Now... So with that, then resurrection changes everything. That, it, that we're expecting the bodily resurrection. The resurrection is far more than an amazing historical event. It's definitely that, but it is more than a historical event. The resurrection of Jesus, his bodily resurrection, that he walked out, that he ate breakfast afterwards, that he was able to be touched He walked out as a body, and his bodily resurrection guarantees our bodily and physical resurrection and the physical resurrection of this world. Now, why does that matter? It's because most of us think when we die, we get angel wings, and we're going to be floating around heaven for eternity. One of my best friends growing up didn't know the Lord. He's like, that sounds really boring that you would sit there as a choir and sing praises all eternity. And I didn't have a really great answer for him other than, well, God's worship is not going to be boring. But here's the reality is God is going to bring resurrection of what is here and now and make it even more beautiful. We're not going to live as disembodied spirits at the resurrection of Jesus. It was a down payment and a pledge and a promise of what eternity will look like. You and I in glorified, renewed bodies on the new and redeemed earth. So the bodily resurrection is a historical event, but it's that promise. It's that promise of, uh, of what he is going to bring. And this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, later in the chapter, Um, Some were saying, all right, Jesus was resurrected, but we're not going to be resurrected. That was what's going on in Corinth. Well, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 16, Paul says this, If the dead are not raised, meaning us, at the second coming of Jesus, if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. But what he's saying, we'll just stop with that sentence, What he's saying is that the resurrection of Jesus is such a guarantee of our resurrection that if we're not raised, then Jesus wasn't either. Does that make sense? And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. That's why this is the Super Bowl. That the cross without the resurrection means nothing. 
because then Jesus is still a dead savior. He did not conquer death. Yeah, he paid a, a penalty, a sacrifice for sin, but he himself couldn't conquer it. So without resurrection, our faith is futile. Then Paul goes to verse 19 in, the, in our chapter. He says, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, meaning no resurrection, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And first fruits is something that goes before and promises more to come. It's like the first stuff of a harvest, that there's going to be more harvest. So Jesus goes first. His resurrection leads to ours. And, and Paul kind of comments on this in verse 14, kind of going backwards, that if Christ has not been raised, then our, our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. So if Christ has not been raised from the dead, truly, we have nothing of value to say to you today. And so if you might be one that's more uh, of a skeptic or a doubter and you're here this morning, I'm thrilled. I'm glad you're here. Truly. But I, but I want to encourage you, the only thing you need to deal with today is the resurrection. Because if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, then you can discard everything that's been said to this point and everything that will be said as pointless. Now that's quite a claim for a preacher to make. Discard everything I said if Jesus has not been raised. But if Jesus was raised from the dead, then God is putting before you something that you truly must consider. Because the resurrection of Christ changes everything. Without it, we have no gospel. We have no salvation. We have no message of hope. Because it's, yes, about the bodily resurrection, but, it, but the resurrection of Jesus, how does it change everything? Because it is about the rule and the reign of Christ. That we are not only, we don't not only have a Savior who died for our sins, we have a Savior who conquered death. Death, where is your sting? It was swallowed up in victory. He is the living God. We have a living faith, not a cold and stoic one. We have the dynamic power of God, which made uh, Christ, uh, that raised Christ from the dead. He makes us new and gives us life. It's the power of the resurrection, that he rules over all things. And Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 15. 25 and 27. These are really cryptic. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. And if you've been around church at all, maybe like in the 80s, you sang a song uh, based on Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And I'm sorry, you're going to be singing that the rest of the day. Uh, I've been singing it for a, a, a couple days now. Uh, but in that psalm, it speaks of, uh, the, the Son of Man speaks of Jesus, uh, that, that God has put all things under his feet. And now Paul picks that up and says, Jesus has conquered death. And that puts everything under his feet. So the resurrection, is it merely about new life? 
No, it is also about his reign and his rule over all things in this world. It is about him as the king. Did you feel that in our second song? You know, I love it when the band, yes, the music that they, they do and the songs that we sing, the words tell a story, but did you feel how the music told the story of the resurrection? We sang the song, King of Kings, that the resurrection is about the kingship in the rule and reign of Jesus. It was that second verse, you know, where we're kind of moving through the kind of the bad news. Uh, and it, they're starting to bring the crescendo of the music. I don't know about you, but it was like, let's go. We need to let this rip. There was something in me that just wanted to just explode with joy of what God was doing. Because the music was, was a crescendo, because the resurrection is a crescendo as well. God bringing his life uh, out of things that are dead. Him ruling and reigning over all things. Paul Miller, uh, one, of the, one of the authors I studied a lot on my sabbatical, he writes this just in terms of resurrection. Like, what do we do with resurrection? And he's talking about how we tend to talk about the cross, but not the resurrection a lot. You might actually feel that in your own heart. You know, what's the gospel? Well, Jesus died for my sins. Well, and also raised from the dead to give you life. And he says this, our lack of emphasis on resurrection, it's one reason why we are shy about celebrating goodness or get ensnared by cynicism, meaning like, eh, you know, like it was going to happen anyway. <laughs> you know, it's not that good. You know, we can get stuck in death and don't have a vision for either the power of God to bring real-time resurrection or a vision for the beauty of Jesus that God wants to imprint on us. So without an emphasis on the resurrection, to summarize that, we become pessimists. You know, it is what it is. We're just going to walk through life. Or is God in the resurrection business, bringing life out of death. One more real quick is that the resurrection is a new beginning. Um, I had Colossians 1 in there. This is, uh, you know, I spent a ton of time in Colossians uh, on my sabbatical. And uh, these verses were some of the first that gripped me, verse 18 specifically. But here's, here's verse 15 and 16, that Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created. And when we think of the idea of creation, what phrase comes to mind when you talk about creation? The Genesis 1-1 is in the beginning, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So the word beginning is a creation word. Well, guess what verse 18 says? Verse 18 talks about that he is the head of the body, the church, that's Jesus. He is the beginning. Oh, here we go. That's a creation word. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in everything he might be preeminent. Verse 16 says all things were created by him. Verse 18 says he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. So he is the creator and the re-creator. He's the one who made all things, and he is the one who brings new life to all things. He is the beginning. Resurrection is the beginning of new life. And do you know him and his resurrection power? 
So let's, let's tie together just to, to try to make this personal. The idea of that he died according to the scriptures and that he was raised according to the scriptures. There's one phrase that I skipped in that sentence. That he, he died for our sins according to the scriptures. And our, we know it, it's a word of possession or a word of ownership. So it's interesting that he would die for my sin and die for your sin. The question is, do you acknowledge that Jesus would die or need to die for your sins before the Father? Once you're willing to admit that, then the message of Easter can go from something that is out there to something that is very personal. The, the famous uh, artist Rembrandt uh, in 1633 uh, he painted this painting uh, called The Raising of the Cross. Uh, it's probably a little too small to really appreciate it. Look it up. It's fascinating. 1600s, he put himself in the middle of the crucifixion. He's the man outlined in blue. What is, what is Rembrandt saying by this painting is that, that he, in a sense, was at the crucifixion helping to raise Jesus up on the cross, that his sin was what put Jesus on the cross, not just his, but others. But he realized that he himself and his sins were paid for on that cross. Have you come to a place where you can put yourself in that painting, that you know your need of the death of Jesus for your sin? Or is that just an abstract concept? Because that's the first beginning step of the gospel. Because once we admit that, then we trust in the death of Jesus for our sins. And then when we, re when we celebrate Easter Sunday, uh, what Paul Tripp says, you will never stop celebrating the victory of the resurrection. Because once you can put yourself at the base of the cross, in a sense, raising Jesus up, not that you're the one doing it, but your sins caused him to be there. Once you can realize that and you need his grace, then you celebrate the resurrection, not as some abstract concept, but for you as your personal salvation, for you as the one knowing that God gives you life. Is that your story today? Do you know him by faith? Do you know your sins deserve the death that Jesus paid? Do you know that, your, that, that the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus for your sin and that Jesus was resurrected to guarantee you life? Do you know that story? Is that your story this morning? I would imagine on Easter Sunday, many people coming with family, many people maybe even grown up in church for years, there are many that do not know that is their story. And if you want to know the living God by faith today, would you find us after the service? We would love to introduce you to King Jesus, the one who conquered death, the one who can fix and, and uh, who can uh, truly restore broken things in your life. Do you know him? Do you know him by faith? Let's pray. Uh, God, we just uh, thank you for the, just the promise of the gospel, God, that the resurrection is everything. And God, it's not just an event that happened in the past. It's not just that we get new life here. 
God, we are promised eternity in a restored, renewed creation where you have made all things new and set everything right. The resurrection is the beginning and the down payment of that process. So God, thank you for the good news of the gospel, both personally and for this world. God, I pray that you would draw people to yourself. Would today be the day of salvation where somebody, God, in this room would see that they have done church, that, that they have done morality, they've done the southern church thing, and God, they see it all as nonsense, and they need your resurrection power in them. Father, would you draw people to yourself today, and we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.